pardon my attire. I went to the mall the other day, and as I was driving up to Misha Mama's house or whatever that place is called, um, as I was driving up, uh, not a cloud in the sky. Parked in front of the mall, got ready to go in, and as soon as I opened my car door, no, excuse me, as soon as I opened my car door, got out and closed it behind me, the entire bottom fell out. And I just got rained on, had no umbrella, had no raincoat, and I had decided that I was never going to let that happen again. I remember um, a couple years ago, my wife and I, we were in a restaurant and uh, this young boy came in. He, it was cold outside. It was during the winter in Maryland, which y'all, y'all call summer here. Um, we, were, um, we were inside the restaurant. It was cold outside, but it was raining. And it wasn't like just a, you know, a little downpour here, a little sprinkle there. No, it was raining. There was standing water in the parking lot, so much so that when we got out of the car, both of our feet uh, or both my, my feet and my wife's feet got just absolutely drenched. About two minutes after we had gotten in the restaurant, this little boy came in and the little boy had a diver's mask on. When I say a little boy, I'm talking about, it couldn't have been any more than five or six years old, right? He had a diver's mask on. He had a, a snorkel in his mouth. He had a, a dive, uh, excuse me, a life jacket on and he was walking with flippers, And it reminded me of when I was a child and probably those of you that are adults, you probably remember those seasons also when it would rain, you loved to play in the rain. There were storm uh, drainage ditches where I grew up and, and, and after really big thunderstorms, the water would stand in these ditches two, three foot deep. I looked at it as my own personal swimming pool. And it was amazing how I could literally spend hours playing in the rain and I was never bothered for a minute that my clothes were getting wet, that I was getting grass clippings in my nose. Can I get an amen? Oh, two. Okay, good, good. But as we, as I got older, every time it rains, I'm not going outside. If it just looks like it's going to rain, where's the umbrella? Pull the car in the garage. I don't want to get my hair messed up. Um, You know, as when we're younger, we love the rain. We love experiencing the rain as it falls from the heavens. But when we get older and we get more experienced, we learn or we think we learn that rain is an inconvenience. I um, want to show you something today where a lot of us, when it comes to God's Holy Spirit falling on us, a lot of us figuratively have dressed just like me. We put on things that prevent us from getting soaked, from getting saturated, from soaking in his spirit. And so today I just want to just want to share with you briefly 
as I take this off because it's hot. I want to share with you the message playing in the rain. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask now that you will take me in your hands, play me as an instrument. Lord, I pray that every note that comes out of my mouth will come directly from you. Lord, if I am in the way, if there's anything in my life that would prevent you from reaching your people this morning, Lord, I rebuke myself in the name of Jesus. Help us to see you clearly. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I have had an absolutely wonderful time here this week at Andrews University, and I am so giddy that I am speaking at PMC this morning. Understand, as I told the, uh, as I told the university students this week, I am a Dwight Nelson fanboy. He is my favorite preacher, regardless of denomination, regardless of preaching style, regardless of whether he's got an organ playing behind him. I could sit and listen to that guy all day. But as I, oh, you clapping for me or for Pastor Nelson? Okay. All right. I'm not really, not really sure. Um, But here's what I told the university students yesterday and then again last night is that for him to extend this invitation to me to come and speak in his pulpit, you know, I'm guessing he had the flu and he drank a little bit too much NyQuil, maybe some Advil PM, but you know what? The invitation's already been given and my name is in the bulletin. Joke's on him. So here we go. Uh, Turning your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua, Joshua chapter six. We're going to read the very last verse. Now understand the way that I preach is I I will tell you a story and I, I will do my best to paint a picture. But in my opinion, the best way to paint the picture is actually to read the read what the Bible says. Right. And so what I'll do is I'll just go verse by verse and 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 we'll um, we'll see what God can teach us. It's been a great week for the children of Israel. You know the story, the, the, the walls of Jericho, as the song says, the walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down. If you look in the original language, when the walls came down, they didn't just topple brick on top of brick. It actually means that the bricks were pulverized into dust. The children of Israel were victorious without even lifting a finger. They didn't have to take one sword, one spear, one shield. All they had to do is be obedient to God and victory was theirs. Isn't it funny how we get off track? We, uh, we, we, we think that victory is inside of us, that the power to overcome sin, the power to overcome bondage, the power to overcome strongholds, somehow, some way, we have begun to believe that the power is within us to be victorious. And so what happens to them is what happens to us all too often, they, 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 all too often, they, they, they take their eyes, they took their eyes off of the father as we do Joshua chapter six and verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in 
all the land. In the Bible knowledge commentary, and I said it in first service and I'll say it again, I am not a theologian. I understand that some of you that are sitting here are theologians. If, if I say something incorrectly, if I mispronounce a word, then I invite you to send me an email at vincentdeem at idontcare.com. In the Bible knowledge commentary, it says that God's people are never more vulnerable, never in greater danger than right after they have won a great victory. I mean, think about that. Think about, think about when the enemy has hit you the hardest. Think about when the enemy, I don't know how the enemy attacks you, but the enemy usually punches me in the throat. I preach a great message or I, 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 I am, God uses me as an instrumental piece as bringing someone to the Lord and I'm on cloud 15. Forget about cloud nine. That's not high enough. I'm on cloud 15. And what does the enemy do? He just knocks me all the way down to the bottom. And I feel as if I have failed God in some way, shape or form. And so that's where the children of Israel are now. They're in that spot where they are victorious What's going to happen? Joshua chapter seven and verse one, actually the very next verse following verse 27 of chapter six says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, but is a coordinating conjunction. And this is demonstrating that there's something has happened, but Joshua had done what he was supposed to, but. The children of Israel were obedient to God, but one of my other favorite preachers teaches at the seminary and she preached a sermon one time called all your big butts. I'm not preaching that sermon today, but we could. Joshua had done what he was supposed to do. And, and they were victorious. And now it came time for them to attack AI. So he sent, pl- he sent spies to AI to, to, to plan their next military conquest. And, and when they came back, they, they returned confident and cocky. The Bible says in verse 3, that do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up to attack AI. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few theologians have written there. The AI was only a, 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 a city uh, of about 12,000 people and Joshua's men returned cocky. They said, we only need about two or 3,000 people. And so Joshua listened to his spies and they sent uh, them up to AI and disaster struck. Verse five, and the men of AI killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Cherubim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Israel only lost 3% of those that were sent to AI and understand that in military terms, anything below 5% casualty rate is acceptable and understood as being a cost of war. Now they have taken a, a, a truly uh, almost impenetrable 
fortress in Jericho without losing a single life. And now they go up into, as from my readings, not a very well defended city at all, AI was. And, and, and they go up to AI and they only take two or 3,000 people and they lose 36 men. How would you feel if you were Joshua? The Bible says in verse six and seven that Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, alas, O God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan? Now that's not how he said it. See, see, God gave me my imagination. So when I read scripture, I can imagine what it looked like, what it smelled like, and most importantly, what it sounded like. Imagine if you were God's chosen leader and you have just lost 36 men in battle. How would you approach God when you believed that you were on the right side of God? In my mind, don't know how he sounded in your, how he sounds in your mind, but in my mind, it's alas, oh God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we be content to dwell beyond the Jordan? You ever met anybody like that, that that gets in this crying fit and there's a little tremble in their voice, right? That's where Joshua is, right? He is responsible for God's people. And now I'm sure that for a moment he feels, you know, what did I do wrong? How did I shortchange the father? Oh Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. You have fallen. Why have you fallen on your face? God tells Joshua to get up. Stop wallowing in your seemingly hopeless and helpless state. Get your head up. I did not create you to be a loser. Now, let me give you a plan. So God lays out the plan for him. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to gather all of Israel here in the valley. And I want you to divide them up into their, into their different tribes. So all of Israel and, and imagine that it's, it's like these pews, right? It's a, you know, you got one tribe, another tribe, you know, all, all, all the, all of the tribes of Israel. Right. And he says, okay, now once you've got, once you've got all of Israel lined up and they're all segmented and and segregated as far as their tribe goes. Now I, I want you to make sure that they're divided up according to their families and, and then inside of their families, make sure they're divided up in inside of their household and Joshua, then I will show you Who is the cause of this foolishness? So Joshua obeys. He brings all of Israel out there in the valley and they, 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 he divides them up into their tribes and into their, their families and then their households. And then God begins to reveal to him who the guilty 
party is. Imagine just for a moment that you're sitting there or standing there. Imagine just for a moment that you know that what you have done was a sin against God. What you have done has prevented the children of Israel from being victorious. What you have done is responsible for 36 people losing their lives. And Joshua walks up to your tribe and he makes his way to your household. And then he makes his way, or excuse me, to your family and then to your household. And then he turns to you and he's like, yo, Aiken, why'd you do it? And the Bible says that, that when Achan is called out in front of all of Israel, when he is called out in front of everybody, he answers to Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them. And took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Now I did a little bit of research according to today's prices in gold Aiken on that day that he stole that day that Jericho fell when he took these things he stole in today's terms $30,218.75 not a bad day at the office. In silver, he stole about $1,444 worth of silver. And then, of course, this priceless Babylonian garment this, that, that was worn by, the, by literally worn by kings on stately occasions. And now he's taking these things, he's buried them in his tent. And because he has been disobedient to God, because he didn't listen to every single thing that God had commanded them to do, now... He is being held responsible for the death of 36 people. But look at how this happened. Look at how he explains it. He says, look, I saw something with my eyes. That covetedness, that that desire to have it sunk into my heart. It activated my hands and I took it and I kept it a secret And because of this, it separated him from God's grace. We look at this, we look at this story and of course the things that we, 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 when we're talking about secrecy and separation, we're, we're thinking about adultery and, and we think about pornography and we think about lying and cheating and stealing and all of those things, because those are the big ones, right? Those, those are the big ones. Maybe even because we're seventh day Adventists, we talk about the breaking of the Sabbath, not holding fast and tight to God's commanded law. And, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but, but look what happens with Joshua in verse 25. Why did you bring this trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Acre. His disobedience cost him and his family their lives. 
You know, it's easy for us to point the finger at other folks, right? They go to church on the wrong day. We have the Sabbath. I said something in first service, and I'll just tell you now because I'm an equal, equal opportunity preacher. And as I said in first service, I only need a few people to love me. I don't need you to love me as long as my two daughters and my son and my wife and Dwight Nelson and Chaplain Price, my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, my mother, and my grandson. Those are the only 10 people I really need to love me. I, I will just tell you what I told first service. I've seen a lot of Olympics. I mean, a lot of Olympics. I remember the first Olympics I ever saw was the 1972 Olympic Games in Munich. And I've seen a lot of medal presentation ceremonies. And I've seen a lot of people that win or come in third place. What, what, what kind of medal do they get? Bronze, bronze medal? Okay, good, 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 good. Okay. And, and the person that came in second, what, color medal, what kind of medal do they get? Silver. Cool, cool, cool. And the person that comes in first, they get what? Gold. Okay, all right. So my question, my question to you is, and understand that I've been an ordained Seventh-day Adventist minister for, for many, many, many years now, and I'm still an ordained minister in the Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm just trying to figure out why we put such an emphasis on the fourth commandment and pretty much ignore the first three. Because a lot of times we take our feelings, our emotion, and our own sin, and we make it our own God. See, I've been in this thing for a while. I was baptized as Seventh-day Adventist in 1993, and I keep the Sabbath, and I guard those borders of the Sabbath, but it's not going to be the Sabbath that would be my downfall. See, there's, there's stuff that runs in my family. You can call them generational curses if you want to. You can call them generational sins if you want to, but my grandmother loved to gossip. My grandmother loved to gossip and, and she passed that gene on to me because I have to catch myself many, many times not talking when I should be quiet or talking when I should be quiet. And understand that according to scripture, gossip is a sin. Oh, there's a lot of those like that. You know, James chapter four and verse six, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you think that this thing, church, is about you and your comfort and what God can do for you, I have, a new, I have news for you. As I told the students this week, God is not on your side. Hear me now. If it, you think that it's all about you and, and, and you know, what you can get from this and what position you can have on the board or what seat you can have in the choir or how many times you can preach a year or how many, where you can sit in the church, then understand that God is not on your side because the Bible says that God opposes you if you are prideful and arrogant. You know what that means? I, I showed the kids this, but I'm sure that most of you were not here. I was not in Pathfinders. Thank you, Jesus. But I was in, uh, I was in what the, we call the real Pathfinders, which is the United States army. And I learned this thing called an about face, right? Stand in the position of attention about face, right? I learned that that's what happens in heaven. When you make this thing Christianity about you. When you climb up on the marquee of Christianity and you change the leading actor off of the marquee from Jesus Christ to you, what happens is all of heaven's angels do an about 
face. And those angels that were fighting on your behalf now fight against you. Fine, you may keep the Sabbath. You might not eat lobster tails and shrimp. But I guarantee you that for most of us, there's something that we're hiding in our tent. Some, a way that we speak to our wives, the way that we treat our children, how we interact with people at work. There are things in most of our lives. I don't care how holy you think you are. If you think you're holy, that's your mistake. That's a sin. That's pride. You're guilty. Welcome aboard. But look at this. Look at this. What do we, what do we do? What do we do? You know, we're not, we're not just destined to, to, to bust hell wide open. I, I hope not. There's got to be a way away from this. There's got to be a way out of this. And the first thing that you have to do, the first thing that you have to do is you have to recognize if you've got something in your tent. Now understand that this is quite possibly the most difficult part. Because self-examination is quite possibly one of the most painful things I've ever done in my entire life. The story that I'm going to talk about on the other side of campus at 6 p.m. today was in 2001, I had planned out my own suicide. I was a theology major. I was a few months away from graduating. I was going all across the country preaching. I, I was doing work for the Center for Youth Evangelism while I was still in college. But I went to Walmart and I bought a box of shells and I had thought through the process of taking my own life and understand that, 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 that I'm just going to be honest with you. Again, I don't need you to love me, but there, there seems to be a lot of times with, with God's chosen ones, there's a darkness that haunts you and follows you and does everything that it can to knock you off. It ain't just preachers. It ain't just elders. It ain't just, it ain't just pastors. It's God's chosen people. You know, just like I know, there've been seasons in your life where you don't feel God's breath on the back of your neck, but you feel the darkness that looms around you. I've been through those seasons. And it wasn't until my wife tricked me into going to counseling three years ago that I began the process of self-examination and realizing and realize, hear me folks, and realizing that there was stuff inside of my tent that I needed to dig up. I needed to recognize it. I needed to be, I needed to dig it up and I needed to throw that foolishness out. And over the last three years, I've done more repenting and confessing because of my thought life than I have my physical life. First thing you got to do is you got to recognize if you got something in your tent. The next thing you got to do with the imparting of the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, remove that mess because there is no place in God's kingdom for that foolishness. Now, I know some of y'all are looking at me and y'all are all high and mighty. I've never been through anything like that. Fine. I didn't come here to talk to you, but I'd be willing to guess there's at least three people in this room. It's a big room, four people. Then not only am I right down your street, but I'm knocking on your door and I'm not coming at you as an enemy. I'm coming at you as a friend because I'm telling you it is possible to get this foolishness out of your life and become exactly what God's created you to be. That's possible. 
Don't listen to the enemy. The enemy wants you to feel defeated. The enemy wants you to feel like just because your, your, your father beat your mother that you got to be rough to your wife. Because your mom spoke coarsely to you, you got to speak coarsely to your children. Because, because your, your father was a liar and a cheat, you got to grow up to be a liar and a cheat. Your mom was a drunk and now you feel like you got to be a drunk. I'm telling you, it's time to take this stuff out of the tent. So you remove the stuff, you recognize it, you remove it, and then you repent. And like I said, I've spent more time repenting. In Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, the Bible says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You can try to tarry some sins to your grave, but when the holy city comes down, you're going to wonder why you're on the wrong side of the wall. See, I don't care about being part of the 144,000. Right. People pick on me all the time, you know, because I'm I call myself a Jesus vegetarian. If Jesus would have blessed it and fed it to people, I'm going to eat it. I don't care about being I don't care about the hundred forty four thousand. I don't care about that. I'm just trying to get to heaven. You see, if you would have understood where I come from and understand what I've gone through, the fact that God can actually welcome me into the kingdom. That's the miracle of all miracles. And so I'm, I'm happy with that. Just get me to heaven, God. I just want to sit there and I just want to hear you tell me stories. I want to, I want to, I want to, you know what I want to do? I want to, I want to sit in front of Christ and I want to say, God, do you remember? You remember in 1989 when I was standing on a street corner with 22 bags of crack cocaine in my pocket and the police pulled up and I swallowed 21 of those bags. Do you remember that God? Do you remember when I did this and I did this and I did this? And you know what my God's going to do? My God's going to look me in the face and say, Vince, I distinctly remember forgetting that. I I live for that. The fact that, that everything that I've preached and everything that I've believed, that it's true. Recognize what's in your tent. Remove that foolishness. Repent of it and replace it with the Holy Spirit. Replace it. God, whatever the size of the hole is in your tent, God... God can feel that void. And after you have replaced it, then you're ready to receive not only the blessing, but the power over the Holy Spirit. As I talked to the young people this week, and I was talking about when Jesus went into the wilderness, the Bible says that he went into the wilderness being, being full of the Holy Spirit. But after his encounter with Satan, after his encounter with Satan, the Bible is very clear in the book of Luke, very, very clear in the book of Luke, that after his encounter with Satan, something happened. No longer was he just full of the Holy Spirit, but he went out in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not doubting whether the Holy Spirit is inside of you or not. I'm just doubting whether the power has been manifested yet. That's all I'm asking. Because according to, according to, to Jesus himself, there's four things that people that have the Holy Spirit should be able to do. This is Jesus, not me. Either Jesus is telling the truth or he's a liar, which means why are we even here? But there's four things. Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. So what the Bible says that we as disciples should be able to do. When's the last time you raised anybody from the dead? I believe that it should be possible. Either that or the Bible's not true. It should be possible. So why not? Because we have not fully embraced 
the receiving and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Hosea chapter six and verse three said, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Isaiah 44 and verse three says, for I will pour water on a thirsty land. Are you thirsty this morning? And streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Folks, here's, here's what I want to pray to you, to pray for you today. I want to pray that as we separate and as we step into the ordinance of humility and then step into uh, communion, I, I'm going to ask that you honestly reflect inside of you and see what it is God wants you to remove from your tent. Because God wants to spend forever with us. But we can't bring what's in our tent with us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, many of us have put on raincoats of sin that are preventing us from truly experiencing your showers of blessing. Lord, I ask right now during this communion service, beginning with the ordinance of humility and then into the actual communion, Lord's Supper, Lord, I ask that you will begin the process, empower us to look at ourselves in a real kind of way, an honest way. Lord, help us to see what it is in our lives is not pleasing to you and give us the power through your authority to remove those things, Father. Lord, I pray that you will reveal stuff to us that we've never even thought about. Lord, if there's relationships that we have with individuals, if there, there are things that we look at, things that we listen to, if anything is in our life that is not of you, Lord, then we ask that you will begin the process of removing that stuff from our tent. Lord, I ask now that your Holy Spirit guide us through this process and be with us during the ordinance of humility and into the Lord's Supper. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.